friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Hello, everyone. You are tuned to the MC Lars podcast. Today is Monday, November 23rd, and we are going back to doing these weekly. That's right. This is episode 111. I had a lot of interviews I was able to do in the past week trying to reach out to get more people on, and we have enough. So, yeah, it's going to, I know I skipped like a week or two, but we're going to go back to every week. This week's episode is brought to you by the following awesome Patreon Larson. Shout out to the new ones, John Ashley and Lord Kiba. Shout out to the old ones, Lunartic, David, and Mark. If you join and support me on Patreon, not only do you get access to over 100 songs of mine you probably haven't heard, you also get a shout out on the podcast. You get to hear my new Star Wars songs. I'm doing a new series called Lars Wars, and uh, I just dropped my Revenge of the Sith song, and then this week I'm dropping my Droid song, which I'm particularly proud of, so check that out. Also, if you haven't seen on YouTube, every week MC Snacks and I review an Insane Clown Posse album or an album that they produced and put out on their label. And uh, we just finished recording episode 17. And next week's episode is actually with ICP's DJ, DJ Clay. So that's what's up. So if you aren't sick of hearing me talk for an hour a week on the podcast, you can listen to me talk for an hour about very esoteric inside baseball juggalo history. But what's fun about it is I connect it with a lot of broader themes, proving the point about why certain albums have been successful for them. You know, I'm all I'm such a nerd about hip hop history. So uh, check that out. We had our last Shaq New Stimulus Games this last Saturday with our homies from the Four-Eyed Horsemen, Mega Ran, Frenalot, Schaefer and I. Plus we had... Lex, Lex Conartis, Richie Branson, IQ, the homie from Cartoon Violence, and uh, it was tight. And so I want to thank Shaq News for having us. Thanks, Asif, for putting it together. And uh, we are doing another Four-Eyed Horseman post-Thanksgiving stream this Saturday, November 28th at 5 p.m. Eastern with Mark Cooper opening. We're all doing a different set. You can buy tickets. You can request songs, and uh, it's going to be tight. So... Speaking of Megaran, some of you may have heard he and I made a record a few years ago called the Dewey Decibel System. And most rappers, when they make a collab album, they email the verses. I just watched uh, Travis Scott's Look Bomb, I Can Fly documentary about the release of Astroworld. And in, this, in one of the scenes, he gets a verse from Drake who emails it to his phone, right? Like Drake couldn't even come to the studio. That's okay. When you're super huge, like sometimes that's a choice you have to make, but and even when you're super small, sometimes you have to do that, especially in quarantine. Gosh, all the collabs I've been doing this year have been email collabs. But Megaran and I came to Bushwick and stayed with Brad in the studio for a week. It was a crazy week. It was the week of my 35th birthday. It was the week of New York Comic Con. It was the week uh, the hundreds put out the Roger Rabbit merch. And um, it was the week of the Vegas shootings. It was just like a crazy week. But we were able to record this album, which we had mostly written before. We had the beats, and Brad had the arduous task of collating our vocals, getting all our takes, organizing, lining everything up so we could have Richard mix it. And we had one of Raheem's friends, uh, this guy, what's his name? Storyville, Matt Weiss. And he ended up like, we paid it. We hired him to mix the record. He ended up like not mixing, not really doing the job that well and keeping the money and it's all good. But um, there was a lot of extra work to do because of people we hired who dropped the ball. I'm not trying to put anyone on blast. I'm just saying that this was a big project for Brad to do. And uh, we had a lot of sessions and stems and guests. And then uh, our homie, Rich Matthew, ended up doing the final mix and master of most of it. Um, 
And it came out great. And it's a really good record because Mega Rain and I felt super comfortable with Brad. He's a great producer, mixing engineer, you know, everything. Brad's story is interesting because this dude grew up in upstate New York and went to RIT and got his master's in some very technical, interesting things. We talk about this at length. I'm very intrigued by his how he his master's thesis was exploring the the um, functionality of radar in reconnaissance. Very awesome stuff, which is why Brad's such a good producer, because he's able to understand how and why things work, programs work, and how to make vocals sound the best. But he's also a great writer, great rapper. He mixed uh, Cannibal Ox's record. He's done a lot of stuff with Vast Air, who's the MC from Cannibal Ox. And uh, it's cool because he and I came up in a similar way. We both had our stuff on mp3.com. We both were kind of nerdy with the way we would rip beats. And he tells a funny story about buying some software, copying all the music from it, all the beats, and then (laughs) returning the software and getting Acid Pro, which was a music production program we both used in the early 2000s. So he's a great guy, and I miss him. And like I used to always... Every few weeks, I'd go to his spot. We'd record, hang out, catch up, and I miss being in the studio with him. So it was fun to do this podcast remote. So this is my interview with Theosin, and we're going to end with his jam, Carl Sagan. So stick around. Thank you all for listening. We hope to see you at the Four Eyed Horseman stream this Saturday. And uh, yeah, I love y'all. You really made this. You've made this quarantine a lot more bearable by being so engaged with the content I'm putting out and being such great supportive friends. And shout out to all the people who've been on the show and. Especially Theosin. So let's go. Let's go. This is my interview with Theosin. Well, friends, this is an interview with Theosin, a Brooklyn based producer, rapper, artist. All around great guy. Oh. And we're doing this episode remotely. I don't know if any of you heard about this COVID thing, but <laughs> it's put a wrench in our wrench in our plans to do this IRL. Um, what's up, Theosin? Not too much. Maintaining. You recently had a flood in your basement, RZA style. I did, yeah. Yeah. I was lucky nothing uh, too important got destroyed. I had three floods. But uh, <laughs> three, I didn't know three. Three, yeah. The first one was uh, sewage, and the next couple, I think, were just sort of rainwater, or maybe, maybe someone's toilet water that wasn't too dirty. I don't know. It was unpleasant. Now we're recording. Bounce back. Got to bounce back. Oh man. Well, um, that's the thing about you. You're very. You're one of the most positive people I know. Yeah, I mean, and that's what it's all about. And I mean, really, I learned some of that from you. I mean. Seeing how you treat people and interact with people really taught me a lot about just keeping things super positive, and it it helps everything. Thanks, man. I mean, that's all we have, right? It's like, especially in a year like this, you just got to keep it moving. (laughs) You got to keep going. I mean, life will go on. We did the one of the recent, like, kind of Odyssean epic projects we worked on was all the stems and vocals and performances that became the Dewey Decibel record came out in 2019, but it took a long time to drop. Yeah. I just remember it was the fall because it was your birthday on one of the days we were recording, right? Yeah. So yeah, it was. And y'all 
got a cupcake and sang happy birthday. That was sweet. <laughs> and we were there and like, it was just like long days. It's not easy to track a whole project like that, but it was cool because it was like, you want to make sure when you're doing an album that's so intense like that, that you have a, a place where you feel comfortable. And that's kind of a old school way to do things because nowadays it's all stems and email. Right. And so like to do a whole record in one physical place, I don't think anyone does that. It's kind of unheard of. I mean, I think most people would have just phoned it in, sent the stems over to each other. So that was cool, though. Yeah, 2017. And then that's where we, we met Quelly Chris, who you've worked with since. Also a great dude. And he's a very versatile, artistic guy. And another artist you've worked with is uh, Vast Air from Cannibal Ox, right? You've done a lot of stuff with that guy. Yeah. Yeah, I mixed... Uh, Blade of the Ronin, which is the the most recent Cannibal Ox album, and uh, working on mixing his solo right now. And yeah, I've known them for a long time. We met through Claire, through HJA. Mm-hmm. I feel like 2016, maybe at one of her shows. Yep. You're someone who's always up on new new hip hop, new production, and I I love working with you in that way because all the stuff you turn me on to helps me. I feel like stay stay current as an MC and, and as a producer. So you grew up upstate New York, right? Yes, in a, a very small town outside of Binghamton, New York, which is a very small city. Binghamton, is that near Syracuse? Or? Yeah, it's about, it's about an hour, hour and a half um, kind of southeast of Syracuse. And there's a, is there a college in Binghamton? Binghamton University, yeah. I think I maybe played there on like a college tour maybe years ago I, or something. I bet you did. I mean, they used to do a lot of shows. I remember seeing uh, Adam and his package at the BU. Yeah, one of their student centers or whatever. That's You never told me that. Yeah. When was that? Yeah, maybe 2001. He would play everywhere. And I think it was like, he's someone who, he's been on the podcast too. And he gave me a list of venues to call when I was getting my start, like this li- underground list. And he's like a one of those trailblazers who merged genre and really great songwriter, really original. How did you get into him? I mean, I was kind of in the punk scene at that point, and I probably someone you put me on to him. And uh, yeah, all my friends went, and we, we went crazy. It was fun. We're kind of similar age, and like we have similar influences in hip hop and other genres. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, what was? Did you play any other instruments like before you started producing and rapping? I was. I think I, I had started dabbling in, in guitar and and like trying to like sing in a terrible band and stuff like that. And um, and then I found out you could record on a computer, and that like blew my mind. Um, and if you if you want to get geeky, I um, I was, I had seen an ad for some some weird software called like Music Music Producer Studio or something like that at Office Max and like the Sunday ads, and I I was I I just like begged my mom like please take me, <laughs> like bought it, took it home, and it had all these loops on the CDs. Yeah, and uh, the so- the the application itself wasn't that great, and and at the time I had a. a CD burner. I was like the only kid. I saved up all my money, got a CD burner. And so I burned, I copied all those loop CDs. And then I went back and, and took that software back. And then I got Acid DJ 2.0, which I think eventually became like Acid Pro, which is probably something else now. And then I had all the loop CDs from that. So then I just started messing with stuff. So they let you return it? Yeah. Yeah. I would just put it all back in the package and returned it. Yeah. Suckers. Those were the days. Good luck doing that now. Um, <laughs> uh, 
And so, okay, so you were like mining for beats in a very digital, I guess this would have been 90s kind of way or early 2000s. Yeah, it was probably 99, I think, or, or 2000, something like that. Yeah, and everyone I knew was using like four tracks and, and you know, you couldn't really make beats and you just had a four track. You needed all this other stuff, but the computer made it possible. When I was able to first record mic into like the mic input, like a nice mic through, I had a Yamaha 4TX uh, four track tape recorder, which had good preamps, mm-hmm. but you could do the you could do the RCA out into the eighth eighth inch into the mic input on like my dad's like Mac Pro, and I realized that that sounded good, like it gave the mic a warmth. But then you weren't reliant on tape, so you could like right. do crazier stuff. And for someone like me who like my old stuff, I really couldn't rap that well. My breath control was like trash, to be honest. I could do pieces and cut it together, and then learn like from comping stuff. So it's it's interesting how like we were the generation where the digital tool that was affordable came about like, okay, how good are you at like figuring out these programs and stuff coupled with how much the uh, tangible element could be incorporated with your other skills to make your aesthetic sound unique. So on that note, what were some of your early projects, like some of your early recording projects, like what genres, what styles, like what did you first do with all that material? Um, it went to mp3.com. It was very offensive, and I'm not going to say the name of what it was because um, I was just a <laughs> stupid little teenager. And um, I, the genre, I mean, it was like whatever I could cook up with those loops. I mean, it was a lot of like house loops, and there was some drum breaks and things. So it was, it was just me like rapping, yeah. and it was sort of, it was almost a parody. It was supposed to be like a white kid from a small town being gangster kind of thing, and it was, it was dumb, but... Some people liked it. People be like, yo, you talked about the gas station. Yeah. You talked about this venue. Yeah. My old stuff was like repping different towns in Central California. And uh, I remember I did this uh, in assembly. I did a a rap over Eminem's I Just Don't Give a F instrumental, which is like such a classic instrumental. And I did a rap about... The hook was, they call me Lars. They call me Lars Horace. But all the verses were about places like in the area and I remember I played an assembly and I got the biggest pop I had a line I said it's a fact that we all know the ladies dig guys who drive Volvos and I went ah and I was like "All right, this is like bars there's power in repping in (laughs) repping like what makes you whack or what makes you corny and like that was a cool moment but of course I approached it as parody too because it's like haha I'm rapping over this hard beat like you know like flexing about my my grades and <laughs> everything but that was like yeah you have I feel like on this hero's journey which is something that comes up a lot on this podcast of like actual self-actualization and creativity and passing on the inspiration there you get moments of success where like your peer group is like a wind behind your back being like oh that's tight like having one friend when you're like a kid be yeah. like yeah that doesn't completely suck can, can, can be the difference between doing it or not so i was wondering if you had any moments like that where you had like a little inspiration from friends or your community yeah i mean kids you know in in high school i i remember kids kind of passing the mp3s around and and it was on mp3.com and it got like thousands of plays and i was like this is wild you know (laughs) because no one was no one was posting music online for people to listen to so it was and, and and it was people all over the place so it was it felt pretty cool you had an, an audience, a worldwide like network of people finding it organically. Yeah, and those days were so fun because it was just random stuff, and 
and you never got to experience that because it was just what was on the radio, what was on MTV. I mean, there wasn't really yeah. another way to to access that stuff. The benchmark of underground was like ICP, something that would break through as a fluke because a major label or MTV would put a shine on it. That was like what was underground. And then all of a sudden, MB3.com comes along. It's like, yo, there's this network of DIY musicians. And I, one of the cool, cooler things I thought about that was you could order your own CDR and it would have your art, <laughs> right? It would, and this disc was printed. Did you ever do that? Like order discs? I, I didn't. That's what's up. That's probably a smart investment because it did look kind of pixelated and trashy, but it was cool to be like, yo, um, <laughs> this is my CD. Yeah. Also, I learned a lot about the shadiness of the music business on mp3.com. There's a French label yeah. that wanted to like license and remix one of my weird techno songs. And then I got on the phone with them. I was so excited. And I was like, yo, I'm gonna, my album's going to come out in France. And then they disappeared. I was like, all right, people could be shady. Yep. And the other thing was when mp3.com went out of business, like I thought it was so crazy. You could get checks mailed to you for royalties, right? Mm-hmm. They went out of business. I had like $80 there and there's no way, no one to get that money from. And I was like 17. And it was like a lot of money to just be making on the side. I remember being, anno- being annoyed by that bit, being like, oh, well, easy come, easy go. <laughs> you know what I mean? I wasn't tapped into any local scene or vibes. It was kind of just like taking in stuff from all over and mashing it up and like making my own thing. It snows for many months of the year. It's it's kind of cloudy a lot of the time. I mean, it is kind of a dark vibe up there. And it's cold, right? It can be cold. And it's cold, yeah. Yeah, and there's this that scene with uh, yeah, like bands from Buffalo and Rochester. Like, there's a great music scene, especially up the top part of western new york and i think a lot of that is because people are inside places where you have a bad climate you have a lot of interesting music come out bad being a relative term a cold climate yeah. minnesota seattle buffalo all these places that like in 20 years as the world burns are going to become like very very wealthy growing cities because they become more inhabitable you know with climate change and stuff which is kind of wild to think about but you ended up going to become you get your engineering degree from RIT right I did yes I got a a computer engineering degree at RIT gangster and then you got your master's too right I did I did it at the same time yeah I've never talked to I don't think anyone with a master's degree in computer engineering, who's also a rapper, who's also a producer on this podcast. So you can, you have skills like a, re, you're like a Renaissance man, like skills in all these different avenues. How, so what made you want to like pursue that career as you were at the same time doing music and rapping? I looked at the, the music as just, it was just a fun thing I did. I didn't really think too much about it in terms of like long term or trying to make a career out of anything you know artistry in my family was not like a valued trade in in any type of way and you know I didn't grow up with much money and I didn't like the town it was very small and it was uh you know that small town mentality and I just I just wanted to escape and I just I wanted to escape and I didn't want to worry about money and I was like well I'm good with computers why don't I just do this you know people are telling me to Mm. do this I know I'll have I know I'll be secure financially the rest of my life and I'll get out of here. RIT is like not an easy school to get into. So you must have really hustled in high school for good grades and stuff. Yeah, I did what I had to do. I was just like, I got to get out of here. I just need to get out of here and never come back. Did you have people or mentors who are like, yo, I see you're good at computers. This might be an interesting place to apply. Did you have like a good college counselor? 
Yeah, yeah. And I had a, we had like a technology program in my high school and, and um, he got me set up with like a, kind of like a small scholarship to go there. And um, yeah, that, that kind of pushed me in that direction too. So you really were like, this is a key to like be able to travel and get out of here and, and follow your dreams in a way that was you couldn't have done if you'd stayed there, huh? Yeah, I mean, if I had just stayed and tried to make music or whatever, I might be working at a gas station right now. So, you know, taking the path I did, it, it led me in all these different directions. I wouldn't know you if I hadn't gone there because I met someone at RIT who introduced me to all these, um, you know, kind of rappers and the scene in, in Syracuse. And through that, I, I met yeah. all types of people in, in Brooklyn when I moved here, so... You know, it's interesting how like one person yeah. can just change your whole uh, story arc or your whole path. It's 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 kind of wild. You got to be open for those experiences, and you got to be. I don't know if you give everyone the respect and attention that you sh- that they deserve, then the universe um, opens up with opportunities. I don't mean to put anyone down that's living in a small town, working at a gas station. You know, if you like what you do, that's great. Even if you don't, just keep going and and try to do what you want to do. Did you do like you did your masters as part of um part of your degree? Like you did it in how many years was like the whole degree total? I mean, just the the regular BS program was five years. Wow. Um, because one one of those years was basically broken up into like paid internships. We call them co ops. Over the course of the five years, they were kind of be interspersed with your uh quarters we were on quarters not try uh not semesters yeah um and yeah so it was already five years and then the ms program was still only five years and then i ended up taking like a whole year to uh to write my work on my thesis and and then write my thesis and i was also working part-time at this local audio company that made like mixers and compressors and stuff Mm. So you really got education with that too on the side, yeah. Um, so t- okay, so let's get nerdy real quick. Yeah, Theosin. let's do it. So your degree is in computer engineering. Mm-hmm. It's like a mi- it's a mix of um, it's like a mix of of software engineering and and electrical engineering in a sense, where you kind of learn all the software stuff, but you even go lower to lower levels and learn how hardware works, how how a you know processor works, how to design one, stuff like that. What would a, a class you would have taken junior year been like? Like, what would be the name of the class and what type of stuff would you do? Uh, maybe like uh, computer architecture or uh, some kind of like embedded real time systems class where we'd be like programming uh, low level hardware and low level languages, making it do stuff. Like, I remember making, we'd have labs as part of our. Um, classes and I remember making like a kind of like a rudimentary sampler sampling some kind of analog signal turning it into digital and and processing it sending it back out just on like you know little micro pc kind of things um yeah or or just you know learning about the whole pipeline of how a how a a cpu goes from you know you go from your high level language to a compiled down to more of an assembly language code, compiled down to more of a machine language code, which is just like ones and zeros, and then how those ones and zeros interact with the CPU to, to make it 
do stuff, basically. They always say a computer will do whatever you tell it to do. You just have to know how to talk to it. I mean, I've heard that expression. Mm-hmm. How would you be evaluated? Would you have to, like, from memory, write out code? Or would you have to, like, turn in a project where it's, like, proof that you converted this audio? Or, like, what were some ways they evaluated your growth? There'd be projects, you know, depending on what kind of class it is. You'd have you'd have labs, and you'd either, like, submit a digital... Um, you know, submit your program that you claim to work that solves some some uh, list of problems that they give you, or or maybe like a a lab report that sort of shows like your process of how you solve some sort of a maybe maybe more hardware based problem. And then there'd also be tests where it would just be like almost like programming puzzles. Like you know, they come up with interesting ways to test all the the concepts they've taught you and the. Uh, the different procedures for for solving problems. That makes sense to me, but I think about, wow, it's a lot of memorizing, a lot of logic, a lot of hard work. It was hard. It was really hard. Oh my God. I mean, just nonstop. It was more than a, more than like a 40 hour a week job. It was just nonstop. And then what was your master's project? Like, do you remember the, the, the essence of it? Yeah, sure. It was, um, well, it was based on a um, evolutionary algorithm that was used to uh, optimize essentially a plane flying around with a radar uh, to sort of scope out. It was, it was more of like a, a military base kind of thing where it's like you have, a, you have a radar on a plane and it's moving at a certain speed and the radar needs to cover as much area as possible and it has certain targets that it needs to cover. And then, you know, using this evolutionary algorithm which is is basically ai it would uh it would kind of find these solution points and optimize them over time to get you this sort of best possible scenario of 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 xy kind of points on a grid that it the plane's flying over and so it was mm. it was taking that algorithm and there was a lot of computational complexity to it so i my thesis essentially was like can i offload some of the computationally complex elements of this algorithm to hardware and make it faster and make it more uh, feasible to actually, you know, use this in a real world scenario. It actually didn't uh, didn't really work out. I mean, I went through the whole thing and kind of proved uh, it didn't quite work out. So you designed it, or you were testing out what they had made? Well, someone else had already started, like, had done more of a. Uh, they, more of a like a theoretical like they modeled it in more of like a MATLAB and kind of like proved that this worked, but it was just it took like days to run it, and so mm. you know my my thing was just trying to optimize it, make it faster, which I did a little bit, but not not what I would have liked. Sounds pretty dope. Sounds pretty smart, man. And it sounds cool that you 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 wrapped it up and you had the discipline to focus on it. Yeah, I work for a. Ca- uh, company that focuses on uh, closed captioning for broadcast TV. And um, yeah, I mean, we have a a whole bunch of things we do. Part of it is like speech to text and and sort of cloud-based captioning systems where we can can connect um, a remote captioner to an audio feed of a show and and, uh, get their captions... um, sent back to the the TV plan and kind of injected in the video signal. And we, we do this hardware traditionally, and now we do it kind of in a cloud-based approach. And 
and just many different video formats and caption formats. You kind of try to cover it all. How accurate is it? That's not my area of expertise, but it's actually gotten to like, I believe in the 90 something percent, which is has come a long way in like a really short amount of time. Cause it wasn't that long ago where we used to just say, Oh, this is impossible. Like it's not feasible. It's not feasible to do this. It's not accurate enough. You're going to get fined. Is it delayed? There's a a small amount of delay through the whole system. Yeah. But essentially you account for that and make sure you line it up going by the time the captions hit the, hit the video. Well, we, I remember when we played RIT, there was a woman doing ASL while I was rapping and I heard that, that RIT has a lot of uh, students who are hard of hearing. Is that true? Or was that just like a, just for that show? Oh, no. Yeah, that they have the, I think it's the National Technical Institute for the Deaf, I believe. Was it integrated with your classes? But yeah, it was very, very common. And like every, you know, you'd go to a, say, a rap show on campus and there, there'd be an interpreter there trying to accurately interpret. Apparently, the uh, hard of hearing people, they do... You know, they they love feeling the bass and they can kind of like feel the groove and then, then, you know, get the words and it's a vibe, you know. Rochester is a cool town and I've had guests on the episode. You're not the first RIT student I've actually had, alum I've had on there. Really? This guy, Devo Spice, who's a, he's a guy who's been on Dr. Demento a lot. Yeah, like talk about the town. It was really geeky and it was very male dominated, mm. which is kind of a weird mix. But it was also cool because there were a lot of these sort of uh, kind of like evil geniuses all over that were making cool stuff. And, you know, people were into music and people were super into nerdcore. Um, that's actually where I f- first found your music. Um, we had a, I think it was called Direct Connect. It was like, it's kind of like a Napster, but it was just on our internal network on the in the school, and it was super yeah. fast. I mean, I think it um, was like ten megs a second or something, which at that time was kind of unheard of. And like, you know, everything was on there, and you could just get a whole you get a hundred albums in a very small amount of time. So we were all just downloading <laughs> whatever and listening to it. the The world of of hip hop opened up to me in a way I never could have imagined and it was like a spider web was just you know find out about Aesop Rock then all of a sudden now you know about Cannibal Ox and LP and and MF Doom and and just like man it was it was just wild and it it all happened really quick for me and um yeah that was life-changing I mean if that hadn't happened I don't know what yeah I would be today honestly so at what point did you start working with like the Cannibal Ox dudes and like people do set up your studio and going from mp3.com and then to being like a producer who's, you know, you've made some really professional, amazing records and like, thank you. Oh, no problem. It's true. And while doing your, your side hustle, like what were the steps that led to you first, like getting paid to do production? What I always tell people that, you know, potentially want to get into audio engineering or, or production is just, Linking with people and doing free stuff, you know, uh, it mm. really, since, you know, s- since I started doing this, I've always just like, been like, Hey, come over and record something. And we just record something. And, uh, when I got to Brooklyn, that was, I set up a pretty nice, um, studio in, in an old apartment I had. And I just, 
I would just reach out to people or or friends of friends and 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 just be like, hey, come over, I'll record you. And and people appreciate uh, when you do that, and they look out for you in the future. Getting paid for shows is not going to happen right away, if ever, for, mm-hmm. in most cases. So you got to play for free. Got to go and open mics, give your stuff away. What year did you move to Brooklyn then? Two thousand eight. The end of two thousand eight. I mean, I, I was in. Long Island for a couple months, and then pretty much at the beginning of 2009, I moved to uh, Crown Heights. What was the chain of events that led you to meeting Vast Air? I lived in Syracuse for a while, and I was in this uh, rap group called Sintone. And our DJ, DJ Afar, who's amazing, um, he had linked with this guy, Lifelong, who's a Brooklyn rapper. And who used to be in Stronghold with like Poison Pen and Sea Ray's Walls and uh, Breeze Ever Flowing. And he brought, he was in town from Syracuse one weekend, brought Lifelong over, met Lifelong. We became instant friends, still, still really close friends to this day. And through Lifelong, I met this guy, Elohim Star, who's another amazing rapper. And we, we actually, me, Life, and, and Elohim had a, a group together for a while called Cocoon Movements. It's still kind of, kind of together, but just you know, low key. And um, so Elohim was working on a solo record, which I, I recorded and mixed the whole thing, or most of it. And he he was gonna get a feature from Vast. So Vast Air came over to do a feature, liked the setup. He saw the two black cats, and he, it reminded him of his two black cats he had growing up, and he, he was like feeling the vibe and uh then he hit me up after and asked me to do a favor for him i did and then the the cannibal ox reunion ep came up and they asked me to mix that and uh yeah and then it came time for the album and i actually was supposed to be a different engineer but they weren't happy it was someone who was closer in harlem so it was easier to get to and they they weren't happy i guess with what he was doing and then they asked me to uh mix that album too the blade of the ronin then at what point did you link with claire from handjob academy i was kind of in in flux with with who i was working with at that time and i was just reaching out to people and i remember a friend uh zeb had i guess done artwork with them and and knew knew ash and claire really, really well and uh, so I was just like, yeah, Zeb, could you like link me with, with them? Because I like what they're doing. Once you kind of have gotten into the groove in Brooklyn and you were, you had regular clients and you were doing working with different groups, you were working on a project called Trinity Soul Stars. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the challenges of trying to get your own project off the ground versus like having Megaran and I come just like, like post up at your house for a week and record? Like, <laughs> uh, Well, I mean... I mean, as you know, it's it's there's always personality stuff, and it's it uh, it can it can take a lot of energy to keep things copacetic sometimes with someone else. When when uh, when everyone's creative, you know, people get very passionate, and that's just part of the process too. I think you know, people get you you see a vision for something and you want it to be that way, and and you're kind of always have to compromise, and that sometimes that works, and sometimes it 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 doesn't. I guess. How do you make sure 
you have enough time for your art when you are like hired to work on other projects with other people. Like, cause I know you have tons of clients coming through. There. Yeah. I mean, I, I slowed down a lot, even, even before COVID for that very reason. I mean, it's, um, as much as I love, uh, helping other people create their art and polish it up. And, and I love the feeling of, of someone being super happy that their vision came to life in the way they wanted it. It, uh, it can be draining creatively especially when you're only doing when you only have time for other people's stuff and maybe you have you know you got one day a week or one day every two weeks to do your own thing and you're just like I'm on E like I I need to recharge and you don't really get to recharge so yeah I had a hard time balancing that and now I'm kind of kind of I still feel like I'm recovering from that to a certain extent have you had artists in the studio during COVID no yeah, and I've I've had people hitting me up still, and I just yeah, I'm, I'm not even sure how many how how many sessions I'm going to be doing even after this. But yeah, definitely for now, it's a it's a wrap. I mean, I'm telling people send me send me sessions if you want, and I'll mix them because I can do it on my own time without yeah. without someone kind of over my shoulder. The sessions can get out of hand when like friends bring friends over. Oh yeah, and things can get a little rowdy, and when it's your house. Yeah, I, if I could go back and do it, I don't know if I, I would do it how I did because, uh, yeah, I had a lot of people coming in and out of my home. And I mean, obviously the studio's in the basement and it's somewhat separated, but a lot of people know where I live. A lot of people just coming in and out. And um, yeah, it was it was too much. I think you definitely need like a, a separation. Once you get to that point, you need to separate things. But it's tough in somewhere like, somewhere like Brooklyn or, or, or New York City in general, because it's, it's expensive to get a monthly space and they're really small. I mean, this is the totally made up scenario. If, if they're like, you didn't turn a snare up loud enough. <laughs> I know where you live. Like you don't want to feel intimidated. Yeah. I mean, I was, I, my rates were artificially low, I would say, because I, you know, I recognize that there were kids who were working at McDonald's all week and would take what they had left over and come to me. And I, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to take, their money to be honest and so I kept it as low as I could and worked as fast as I could but it you know it could get exhausting I I think you have a really good ear for what's new and what's dope I love sharing what I like with other people that I think will also like it I guess I I don't know I just check like Spotify new releases or or uh um you know hit a hit a radio you know listen to whoever Suicide Boys or whoever and, and just kind of flip through their radio station and see who comes up and stuff like that. Or, you know, whoever was like on a No Jumper podcast or, or uh, Masquerilla, whatever that um, podcast is, you know, and just kind of start connecting the dots and seeing who's who and what's, what's what. And I go through it. And if I get excited about something, I might text you and be like, yo, check this out. You have an ear and an eye for like extreme, weird, cool stuff. And I feel like that's a talent. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I think it's part of a hobby. I mean, I've really always done that. I don't know. I think sometimes I'm probably obnoxious to people, but like I'm always just trying to put them up on stuff I'm excited about. It gives me joy. And I like, yeah, I like knowing that they're checking out something they may have not, may not have heard about. And, you know, there's certain things like with Take K that are they're culturally relevant, even if you may may or may not agree with what they did or what they're doing. But sometimes it's good to just tap in and figure out like these sort of big culturally relevant events. So, you know, you know, 
Do you feel overwhelmed ever by the sheer breadth of stuff? Like, do you feel like there's not enough time to consume it all? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And uh, especially now because I'm, I spend a lot of my day listening to, to political YouTube, essentially, or lefty YouTube. And so that's taken up a lot of time, too. And then now I'm kind of falling behind on, on discovering new music and keeping up what's going on. It's cool how like, you're, you stay up not only on rap and the culture, the plugins and the tech stuff I'm and, you, and the autotune. You're like, aware of that stuff. Yeah. And even that, the autotune, I mean, I got forced to learn about that. You know, somebody came that wanted to use it the first time. I was like, I dreaded it. I didn't want to do it. And then became part of my own music making process. Yeah. And I, I like and I also like that, you know, with these parodies, um, it was the same thing. Like I, I, almost every time I'm like, ah, oh, I gotta do another I, I have to figure all this stuff out. But then by the end I'm like right. obsessed with it and wanna get like every detail in there and I feel like I learn a lot every time and then I'm like happy. I was wondering maybe we could just talk a little bit about some of your beliefs and if you don't mind talking about that. Sure. I mean, you know, it's changed a lot over the years and now to be honest with 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 what's happened with QAnon, it has also changed my perspective even more. Um it's unfortunate, but you know, QAnon has sort of hijacked the new age movement along with all types of other stuff and you know I think it's giving it a bad name but maybe maybe rightfully so I've sort of realized that there's a lot of self-serving aspects to uh the new age movement that I don't really get down with mm. I say I believe in everything and nothing at the same time where it's I don't want to give anything too too much weight but I also don't want to discount it mm-hmm. and, and also looking for you know what what things bring joy what what makes you feel good what resonates with you as opposed to just like here's this dogmatic theory on things and just stick to it you know i'm i like to figure things out myself through experience and and intuition we all hold a duality yeah and you know you could hear that spoken about in new age circles you could hear that spoken about in christianity or catholicism you know of original sin and and things of that nature where it's like we do all have a light side and a dark side some some might be more dominant for some than others um but yeah and i mean that isn't that like the the challenge of life is balancing that and and uh becoming in tune with that that dark force and and being able to i don't know if i want to say control it but sort of keep it in check and let the light side foster the devil is a is a is a metaphor to me like as kind of as you're as you're saying and and you know i think we're seeing stuff play out in real time right now where it's you know you're seeing this I call it the shadow, you know, I, I see this strong collective shadow that has finally come to the surface in a sense in, in terms of like racism and and this sort of self-serving, uh, you know, objectivist, Ayn Rand, uh, libertarian kind of standpoint where it's like it's all it's. I am the center of everything, you know, what I what I need is the most important thing and I will find every excuse or justification in the book to make things seem that way. But in a way, 
I think it's exciting to be able to speak truth to power and, you know, ri- ride for social justice and all that, right? Yes, and and this is a necessary part of the process, you know, whether whether you're on a, a macro or micro level, I mean, it's not comfortable. Change is not comfortable. Growth and evolution is not comfortable. I don't think it's supposed to be. I mean, even if you're, say you're just trying to work on a fear you have or, or uh, a bad habit or whatever, I mean, it's not, you don't just wake up and necessarily and it's gone because you want it to be. I mean, you sometimes have to do work and it's uncomfortable. You have to face your own fears and insecurities. And I think that's happening on a really, a, a much larger scale right now. And, uh, you know, it's not it's necessarily supposed to be easy. You know, when you look at the Black Death, there was a peasants' revolution at the end of that. People were like, "This is not feud- the feudal system is not working. We demand change." And I've been shy about using my platform to speak my political views because there would be trolls sure. who'd be like, "Ah yeah. ha ha!" Like, whatever. But I don't feel scared about that anymore. I don't feel scared talking about my faith. I don't feel scared talking about Black Lives Matter and like trans rights and different identities. People are like having to be honest and it's necessary and that's cool there's these tools to communicate and like that's what you do with your music and everything i feel like a line has been drawn in the sand at this point and people are choosing what side they want to stand on yeah i think that's a i i mean it would be great if they all stood on the side i want but people may not want to hear your perspective necessarily but I, i don't know a lot of people i think people of color i think they want to hear white people lecture other white people honestly i mean we should be doing to uh, help people see a different uh, perspective on things. Are there any old school MCs that you still follow, like maybe KRS-One or other people that haven't even suggested that you feel like have a pretty good take on things during these weird times? I was following Ice Cube, although at this point he said some questionable things. So, uh, oh, yeah, I don't know. I've, he was going in on uh, the far right for a while, but then it got weird. But yeah, I mean, I check in with I'll check in with with Chuck D every now and then. It was it was really cool to see him um, do a rally for Bernie. Yeah, and him not feeling Flavor Flav's uh, resistance to politicize Public Enemy. Right, that was interesting. <laughs> that was kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> do you stay up on any of the Juggalo culture stuff, or you kind of move past that? Great Malenko hit at a time in my life when I needed it. I remember staying up all night just listening to that album, like four a.m. Just, just vibing out to it. Yeah. And uh, it meant a lot, you know, as like a lost kind of like young man, teenager, it, it um, was exactly what I needed at that time. That's still my favorite record of all time. And um, it's crazy how like, yeah, how music can change like that. You can have such specific memories and moments like that in your life. Oh yeah. I can see myself in my parents' basement just listening to that. And I remember the first real rap that I ever wrote was after listening to that album all night. It was like 4 a.m. And I had never really tried to write an actual rap. And I just like went into this zone where I I didn't even remember writing it. Like I saw it in the morning. I was like, what is this? And it was just totally inspired from listening by listening to that record. It was kind of tight. Honestly, it was kind of tight. What I like about Jay's cadence originality, interesting rhyme patterns. Every record is a little different. Like that's what I learned about from them that being original is as important as being able to do like the the triplets or whatever, right? For sure. For sure. Probably more important, being authentic and unique. Yeah, that's important. 
I look at it with with artists and, and rappers in particular that you need a you need a special sauce. You know, you got to be decent at everything, but you got to have one or two things where like you're real sauced up on it. And they, you know, their creativity and presentation and their their showmanship. I mean, it's it's next level. They well, they've created an extremely strong community that will just continue to support them. And I mean, you've done the same thing, really. Thanks. I mean, I remember meeting you when we met. Sure, when we met in 2016, I remember just being like so inspired that you were still really going and and successful and creative and and evolving. I mean, that it's not easy to do. No, thank you, Brad. I think like you got to It's it's like you're. It's like you got to have a side hustle. You can't just be on the mic. You know, blah. blah. I remember when I, there was a. The dudes from Hieroglyphics came and did a talk in, in my dorm in college because one of them had gone to Stanford and his dad was a professor there. And he he made this point. He said, like, you don't want to just be the dude on the the person on stage, just just waving your arms around with the mic and and shouting into the mic. It's always about having the other skill set that is gonna make that meaningful, right? Yeah. Making it so like because no one just cares. Anyone can put a mic in front of anyone's face. So it's what do you do with that special sauce and what do you do with that? And my whole thing has been about trying to make this sustainable business that is my passions, the art, everything else that is outside of the rap. The rap just has to be an extension of it. And um, that was a lesson I learned, I think, because it wasn't easy. I don't know, not being the best rap. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not trying to be self-deprecating, but like I, it wasn't about the bars with Lars. It was about this realness. We've had conversations about this being myself. Yeah. And I appreciate having a friend, producer friend who where I can feel like I can really be myself and I think that's like a skill you bring you know you you make people very comfortable around you thank you yeah I mean I do my best that's and it's you know you're extremely authentic and real and honest and kind and compassionate and you know that's kind of a rare breed and and um you make me feel very comfortable too because I I never feel like I'm being judged in any way and um you know, it's nice to just feel safe with people and to just express yourself and be yourself. And, and that's, I, I put a lot of value on that. What have you been listening to that's tight? So I've been listening to uh, the new 21 Savage album. I'm like really into that right now. It's Savage Mode 2. Metro Boomin produced the whole thing. It's dope. It's kind of like dark trap vibes. And then there's like a couple like auto-tune love songs. And then there's like throwback Memphis and down south kind of tracks it's it's really good i highly uh suggest that one and i've been listening to the new pop smoke album oh yeah rest in peace r.i.p and i really didn't like uh drill music at first but there's something about his voice and his his ruggedness it's very new york is he what you would consider a drill artist yeah i guess he's brooklyn drill he kind of created that genre he took the uk drill and kind of brooklynified it if you will isn't there a lot of chicago drill artists too they did it a little bit, little bit differently, I guess. Yeah. What do you even think about all the like Lil Peep remixes and posthumous stuff that's been coming out with his estate? I haven't been super into anything that came out after he passed, to be honest with you. The Come Over When You're Sober, the first one is tight. Yeah. They read like all these weird collabs and stuff, and um, the management's role in I don't know. Same thing with like idea. Like when you know people are maybe have a problem, what is your role to stop them? And is there a ethical issue if you don't step in because you're monetizing them? Look, I mean that's probably why you should keep 
people around you that really love you and care about you because I, I don't I don't know that they'll let that happen. I would hope not. But sometimes it's unavoidable. But you would you would hope that anyone around you would do everything in their power to to um get you back on the right course and get you get you fixed up. But it's you know, it's a complicated situation, especially anyone that's dealt with addiction knows it's it's not simple and sometimes it's almost impossible. And how like with the fentanyl stuff, sometimes you don't know, right? Like sometimes things can be something's fine, but then that one it's like Russian roulette. And so what are you gonna do when you're traveling and Yeah. Did you watch Everybody's Everything? Have we talked about that? Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. So as you may not hear about, have heard about it, it's a movie we recommend. Um, it's a, a documentary about Little Peep, and it's about really what, what's interesting about it is it's not so much uh, it's, the movie's interesting, his life's interesting, it's really sad, but um, it's about this scene that we've kind of been talking about during the whole podcast that you've kind of opened my eyes to, and it was pro- it was produced by. Um, Terrence Malick, who did The Thin Red Line and a lot of other big movies, but it's about this whole scene about what happens when these kids grow up on the internet as like the kids born in the 90s and after. Like it's really interesting and how that kind of embodies the DIY punk spirit of like the Adam and his package shows we talked about, how that made its way to rap. Yeah, man, that was that was one of the coolest parts. I mean, first off, he's just like a beautiful soul. Yeah. And and it was cool to just, you know, see his his relationship with I think it was his grandfather and his mom and um, his friends, just the way everyone held him in such high regard as such a nice, empathetic, compassionate person. And then also, yeah, the seeing the, you know, we've seen a lot of SoundCloud rappers bubble up to from zero to a hundred really quickly. And we don't always get to see what was going on behind the scenes. And yeah, seeing that like serious, like DIY punk kind of vibe going on behind the scenes was fascinating and it, it reminded me of of the olden days i guess you know yeah it's heartening to that it was this thing that was this movement that is still but was very much like out of the warehouse scenes party scenes internet soundcloud yeah and this dude who just had a great heart great vision interesting lyrics and the way he took the gothic with like the uh stereotypical you know, rap tropes and mixed it. It's tight. Super dope. He was he was a master at that. Yeah. And it was really cool to see, you know, in the in the modern era, you know, it's a lot of people either by themselves or with a just them and an engineer kind of like cooking something up and presenting it on the internet. But it was, you know, to see that it was a movement, people connecting, vibing, and they were just doing it to do it, you know? That's inspiring and cool to still see in, in in this day and age. And his queer identity and everything, how that was a new that too thing with hip hop, right? That now I think hip hop's become more accepting. When back in the day, I remember Lord Jamar from Brand Nubian not feeling Macklemore's like gay rights song. I remember that was a whole thing, right? I don't mean to put them on blast, but like that hip hop's become more accepting. He did a lot for, you know, there's a lot of kids that were touched by what he did and made them feel comfortable being whatever they are, you know, and that's always great to see. My favorite song of his is the Lil Tracy collab, Witchblades. That's a great one. Yeah. It's a sample of Three Days Grace. And what I think is cool. Uh Uh-huh. 2003, you know, I was like, yo, it'd be kind of fresh to sample these emo post-hardcore bands and rap over it. 20 years later, 
that's become like a mainstream movement. It's tight. I know. Isn't that crazy? And that you're the you're the go for that. Like I was when I first heard that track with that piebald sample, I was so <laughs> stoked because I love that I love that yeah. piebald song. And it was just such a great idea. That's what's up. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, like being able to sample that stuff and then have people who make it so I could clear it. Like that was cool. Having the having the connections to do that. And like now that 20 years later, these kids have grown up on hip hop and pop punk and emo music. And that, yeah, it's just it's inspiring, inspiring story. Even though it's a tragic ending, I'm always stoked to see what these young kids are doing because they they give me hope. And I hope that I'll always through friends like you have an open mind to the new generation and like never be bored and never be jaded on music. Cause the day that happens, man, ugh, that'll be a sad day. That was me. I was like really snobby and elitist about what I would listen to. And, um, slowly I got opened up to more, more popular stuff and, and SoundCloud stuff. And, and I'm so happy because it opened up a world and there's so much creative stuff out there that, you know, yeah, it's not bars necessarily. It might not be super choppy, fast rapping, but it's got its own quality to it. And I appreciate that. And somebody like Young Thug is incredibly technical, even if even if some people from our generation don't understand. I mean, it's super technical and interesting to listen to. Yeah. And then you get then I remember when I heard the Megan the Stallion's hot girl boys in the hood thing she did. I was like, yo. She's a beast. There's this generation of actual lyricists and that's like why doing the wet ass poopies hard it's hard it's hard to rap like her and hard to hit the ad libs and everything like yeah like there are the technical kids and that's fresh too so holler hip-hop forever (laughs) (laughs) Um, so brad where can people check out some of your flavor because i know you got some great videos I love that video with the drone where you went and filmed it at the cabin. Is that the Trinity Trinity Soul Stars? Yeah, that's Trinity Trinity Soul Stars on YouTube. You could check out. There's some videos up there. Um, yeah, just yeah, Theosin on YouTube. There should be something. Definitely Theosin uh, on uh, Spotify or SoundCloud. And I have a lot of stuff. I'm I'm working on. I'm just I'm trying to catch up on all the mixes for it. That's the the challenge of of doing everything yourself is is that you get caught up like trying to perfect your own voice and it becomes this whole thing and it you know you, you sometimes put things off because it stresses you out and I'm, I'm you know working to get over that and just release this because I have so much music you make it tight and I look forward to the days post quarantine when we could chop it up in the studio again and make more music I can't wait I can't wait. I can't wait. Can't wait to meet the little guy. Can't wait to bring him by. Have him come hang out and <laughs> listen to music. Guess we'll see when that happens. I don't know. They're saying it might not be until next year. I'm doing a UK 15 year anniversary tour for The Graduate, and um, th- which was like my first like main record. And there we're getting the dates for England, but I'm like, you know, am I really going to get on an airplane in July? Yeah. And go play. Go play Glasgow. Like. I don't know, man. It's optimistic, but like, <laughs> uh, who knows? It's hard to plan anything. Even just simple stuff, like I'm having a hard time planning what I'm doing for the holidays just with getting tested and and and, and travel and things. It's just- it's, The holidays, right? And you're not even, you're just going upstate. It's tough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I want to, you know, I have a new nephew and, and my sister- and my brother-in-law are in Boston, and I want to go see him too. But I, you know, I don't want to give anything to to him. I don't want to give anything to my parents, and 
We don't even know by by Thanksgiving, by Christmas. I I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know if testing's going to be available. It's just hard to plan. Yeah, man. And also, we don't know, like, there's supposed to be the resurgence during the holidays. Fun times. Um, I mean, during the winter, right? I want to end with, I like, I've always liked your Carl Sagan song. Yeah. The Osin, follow my man on SoundCloud and YouTube and everything. And uh, yeah, thanks for this wonderful, heartfelt talk. Thanks for having me. It was really great to catch up with you. And uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate you, Brad. All right, peace. This is Carl Sagan. Holler. Peace. Bye. Getting fire from the earth, right? So it starts till I see the mark. We see it all. All of my energy cosmic, please don't come here with that nonsense. All of my energy cosmic, please don't come here with that nonsense. All of my energy cosmic, please don't come here with that nonsense. All of my energy cosmic, please don't come here with that nonsense. All of my energy cosmic, please don't come here with that nonsense. All of my energy cosmic, please don't come here with that nonsense. All of my energy cosmic. It's simple, this faster, the blessing, the ripple, the cosmos expand, cosmos expand, stacking it up, the infinite demand, laughing it up cause we live without plan, universe shuffles us through all the land, through all the peaks and troughs, be it all, spirit molecule, be the star, that's the kind of you, free from bars, that's the fun of you, be the heart, feeling like I am a warrior, sent from the center to open the gateway. Feeling like I am a warrior, straight from the ancient to open a safe way. Feeling like I reach a new height. Now I'm taking y'all with me, let's ride. The functions in power just pumping the lies. They walking around like it's nothing in the sky. But we all know that there's more to this. More than the power, they hoarding it. Alien shit, the coordinates. Told us the truth, they be torn to bits. On some more shit, who the real father? Fuck a 45th, we the real power. All of my energy cosmic, please don't come here with that nonsense. All of my energy cosmic, please don't come here with that nonsense. All of my energy cosmic, please don't come here with that nonsense. All of my energy cosmic, please don't come here with that nonsense. All of my energy cosmic, please don't come here with that nonsense. All of my energy cosmic, please don't come here with that nonsense. All of my energy cosmic, please don't come here with that nonsense. All of my energy cosmic. Please don't come here with that nonsense All of my energy cosmic I talk that shit cause I live it He tryna turn up on sickness Never gon' fall for the bitch shit I gotta keep up my distance Only gon' fuck with some real ones Shorty so bad she gon' give me some Shit is so lit I go stupid dumb Stay in our cosmos Fuck with my people I'm keeping hold they tryna keep us in fucking holes. Crabs in the barrel, you fucking know. They tryna pull our legs down. Gangsters, they talk to the feds now. I'm gonna kill it, man, hands down. I'm gonna kill it, man, hands down. I'm gonna kill it, man, oh yeah. We're making them wait. Fuck the bullshit, I'm needing my space. Got the better now, I'm making the cake. Throwing shots now, hating you waste. Newest, truest, baby, I'm far away. Out of reach, so them haters can't talk. Balance my energy, nice when I walk. True. All of my energy cosmic, please don't come here with that nonsense. All of my energy cosmic, please don't come here with that nonsense. All of my energy cosmic, please don't come here with that nonsense. All of my energy cosmic, please don't come here with that nonsense. All of my energy cosmic, please don't come here with that nonsense. All of my energy cosmic.
That's what's up. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate your time. Next week, we have DJ Clay, who uh, DJs for ICP. He's a rapper and producer as well. He has a new hot sauce brand, and uh, he's, he's a great dude. So that, that's an interesting interview. So check out next week. Brad, thanks again for being on the show. Hope you're all doing well, and uh, happy early Thanksgiving. We'll see you soon. Peace.